But this isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest, and we are back at it again with another fantastic episode of the Black Agenda. And this time we're talking about the Russia-Ukraine war. In particular, we're going to focus on the refugee crisis that is happening, but we're also going to put this all into a historical context that you can understand, and hopefully just to give you a better idea One, how we got here, what's currently happening on the ground, and then also take a look forward to see what you can do to maybe help out, uh, help those who are, you know, really fleeing their country. They're fleeing their homeland because of what's happening um, in Ukraine. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. You'll have your regular host with me and Adrian, but also we're happy to welcome onto the show one of our fantastic and really talented interns, his name is Aiden Gonzalez. You probably have read his stories on our website on the Black Agenda News. And so we're just excited to have him on the show. Aiden, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, so the, this was really your idea. I mean, you you kind of brought it to us. We, we polled the group and said, hey, does anybody have any ideas for this week? And you came up with, you know, maybe we, sh- we need to talk about the refugee crisis and what's happening really with African refugees in Ukraine. So one, this is a great idea. It's topical. It's relevant. But it's also important to put some context around what's going on, you know, across the pond. It's not something you I mean, you might hear a little bit about it, you know, on the news, but not really in depth. So I guess that's why we're excited to talk about it. And so and and listen, just my my bad not to cut you off, but just just (laughs) so you know, because you can't see. um, Aiden is not, you know, black. I know some people probably like, you know, you have I know we've been a little Black black heavy uh, (laughs) lately, but just wanted to make sure you knew that, listeners, just so you know that we're, and we can reach across the aisles. We're no Joe Manchin. (laughs) You know, we can can work together with everybody, but I just wanted to throw that out there. You can go ahead, Devin. No, no, no. And we promise that'll be the only time you heard the name Joe Manchin on this show. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, he might have something to do with what's going on. You never know. You know, I mean, hey, he blocked everything Biden's trying to do. He should have blocked Putin. I mean, hey, at this point. <laughs> no, if only. <laughs> but no, we'll get into it, listeners. So again, you got me, your co-host, Devin. Adrian's on here, and we're joined by our intern, Aiden Gonzalez. So to start out, we want to kind of take a, take a step back and go back to 1991, which is really the, the, the crux of all this. This is where this all started. So Ukraine was actually one of the republics within the USSR, a.k.a. the Soviet Union. And so Ukraine was actually able to declare its independence after the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. And so since that point, there really has been a desire to get Ukraine back under the control of Russia, really on the Russian side. I mean, so in 2013, the then Moscow-backed Ukrainian leader was ousted due to reneging on a trade pact with the U- the EU, which is the European Union, and that prompted mass demonstrations, which, which led to his overthrow in February of 2014. 
And so then Vladimir Putin, who had accused the U.S. and the European Union of instigating a fascist coup, responded with with a lot with what a lot of people call the most significant land grab in post-war Europe, which is the seizure and annexation of Ukraine's Crimea Peninsula. And so since that point, it has really been it's not a cold war. I mean, it's been a war, essentially. You know, Russia has had you know, desires to take over more of Ukraine's land. And so, I don't know, Adrian, this this whole thing is kind of surreal to watch it play out. I don't think a lot of people thought Putin was done after Crimea, but I don't think they expected a full-blown invasion like what we have now. And so, you know, I don't know, how do you feel about how we even got here and just just the fact that this is all even happening? <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting to kind of look back at this and kind of see that, you know, it's nothing new. A lot of people are probably like freaking out and wondering, but we can probably look back at some of the past and, and predict what's going to be happening. Um, and I I mean, it's it's obviously a lot to kind of consider um, of how one person, you know, Putin and everybody that's his subjects, but mainly Putin can just really dismantle so much progress uh, because the Ukrainian people were really trying to go more towards a democratic society, uh, trying to go more towards progress um, and kind of get out of that um, almost the blight that was in, you know, Eastern European or Eastern Europe. I mean, it was a lot that they were just trying to get, you know, out of being a part of the, you know, the United States and the EU. So I, I don't, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, cause the other part of this is that, you know, in February 24th, uh, Putin kind of justified the invasion by uh, proclaiming that he was trying to demilitarize, you know, Ukraine and dismantle uh, their military's capability, bringing it incapable of defending itself and unable to join NATO. And I think NATO has been thrown around as an excuse for why, you know, Putin is doing this because Ukraine is trying to be a part of them. Um, but also this whole situation of denazification. Uh, he's saying that he's trying to denazify Ukraine. Uh, he also claims, you know, and I think Devin kind of references for his listeners about how Ukraine is not a real country, you know, kind of that, you know, he doesn't really recognize their independence, saying it was completely created out of a Russian imperial land by Soviet Soviet planners. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into this, you know, with Putin. And like I said, I think the the NATO part with the United States and the EU, uh, he sees that as we try to bring democracy more uh, to other nations, that's, you know, encroaching on Russian interests and a historic betrayal of the U.S. and its allies is what he's claiming it. So, you know, I don't know how you feel, Aiden. You know, it's a lot to kind of you know, unpack here and kind of process. I don't know how Putin's mind um, works, and I know you probably don't either, but, you know, one thing is clear is that he is not backing down. Right. And I think one of the key things to kind of take a look at in his statements is that demilitarization aspect. Um, Ukraine used to have nukes, um, and that was like a big deal back when they had them. That was, I think, back in the 90s. Um, but they did sign a deal with um, a lot of, you know, bigger nations agreeing to give up those nukes um, in exchange for in exchange for security um, and like the promise that they would be protected. And obviously part of that is not invaded. Um, and looking at that decision now. That promise has kind of fallen through. Um, and I think that. 
when we're talking in the context of demilitarization, well, they don't have nukes, um, which Russia is a global superpower in that aspect. So really, what military threat do, did they pose to the to the Russian people and government to begin with? No, I mean, that's a good question to frame it. <clears throat> I guess if you're Putin, the worst thing that could ever happen is them becoming part of NATO and joining the, the European Union. And the reason why is that within NATO, if if Ukraine was part of NATO before Russia invaded, them invading would have then caused the rest of the other countries who are part of NATO, including the, the United States, to then have to join in war to help protect Ukraine. So that's why... Putin and Russia have always been afraid of the what they see as the encroachment of NATO to their borders. You know, it used to be Ukraine was not part of NATO, like uh, I think even Poland and some of the other Latvia, Estonia countries, those all used to be under the, U- the Soviet Union. Those are now NATO countries. And so they've always seen that as a threat. And so I, I guess, you know, like you say, they, they were able to sort of disarm them by getting getting them to give, give up their nukes. And then now, you know, they, they think this is the prime opportunity to go ahead as they see Ukraine drifting more towards the West and right. thinking about joining NATO and thinking about joining the EU. They see that as a threat. So it's not going to work, though. <laughs> the rest of yeah. the world didn't buy it at all. No, definitely not. And, and credit you know, to the U.S. intelligence. They they spelled it out there and they kept telling us he's, he's, he's made a decision, he's going to invade, he's going to invade, and he did, you know, and they kept saying it's going to happen. So, you know, it's, it's we hate to see it, but we at least did have a heads up of, hey, this is, it's coming, you know, at least U- U.S. intelligence, I think in that way, did something they don't normally do with re- releasing all that information so quickly and telling the rest of the world, hey, this guy's going to invade Ukraine. One of the other interesting things, though, to kind of switch gears away from how we got into wars, now that we are here in the war, there's been a very, <laughs> I guess you can call it interesting, interesting yeah. way that the media has framed this war in Ukraine. So we are all here. We are all very familiar with the invasion in Iraq and Afghanistan that the United States did and how that was framed. We remember how people framed the war in Syria. Uh, and and in Libya and into these different faraway lands, as we always think of them, but the Ukraine crisis has really uncovered some hidden biases that reporters and journalists have when they're covering the suffering of European refugees. You know, a lot of people have a lot of sympathy, you know, for what's going on. For in, so, in particular, there were some reporters here who said some they had some poor choice of words, as as they would say. <laughs> uh, for instance, there was a French network. Uh, journalist Felipe Corbe, he regrets his his comments after saying, "quote We're not talking about we're not talking here about Syrians fleeing the bombing of the Syrian regime backed by Putin. We're talking about Europeans leaving in cars that look like ours to save their lives." He uh, there was also someone uh, Peter Doby who was on Al Jazeera. He also said he described Ukrainians fleeing their country as quote prosperous middle class people obviously not refugees fleeing the Middle East or North Africa. They look like any European family that you live next door to. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I mean, sorry, it's, listeners, it's not funny. It's not, it's, 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 just, it's not funny. It's, but it it's really shocking, honestly, to hear 
just the stark contrast between, you know, the way that we've talked about refugees. I mean, even what, seven, eight years ago compared mm-hmm. to now. Um, it's just very interesting to see the distinct change in attitude. Now, before we go any further, listeners, let's just give you a little preview or a little snippet of what these media personalities or media pundits have actually been saying uh, about this Ukrainian crisis. So hold on, let's, let's just play a little bit of this for you, and then we'll be right back. the unthinkable has happened to them and this is not a developing third world nation this is europe as you're talking to us matthew we're playing in the latest pictures of some of the refugees trying to get on trains or trying to get out of ukraine and and what's compelling is just looking at them the way they're dressed these are prosperous i'm loath to use the expression these are prosperous middle class people these are not obviously refugees trying to get away from areas in the Middle East that are still in a big state of war. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. These are not refugees from Syria. These are refugees from uh, neighboring Ukraine. I mean, that, quite frankly, is part of it. These are um, Christians, they're white. It's really emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. Children being killed every day with Putin's missiles. Yeah, I mean it's it's so interesting because like I like I watched the video and how some people said, well, these are like white Christians. You know, these are it's like how did how did Christian Christianity even get pulled in here? I'm just like you know. I don't understand how, how that's relevant or how it's like, you know, basically the message is these people look like you and us, so we need to help them. You know, they don't look like, you know, the the caravan that was coming on the southern border. I mean, they're not those people. Um, but they're they're good people. They're they're just fleeing from their 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 lives or prosperous middle class. You know, listeners, this is why, you know, I think Devin, you know, maybe was bringing it up in an earlier episode talking about racism on a global level. And I mean, this is one of those instances where you can see that. I mean, we're going to talk more about, you know, some of the treatment later on uh, in our second segment. But um, it's clear that there's there's something going on here from the media's perception, even the treatment of of, um, African migrants. And it's just appalling to kind of see that, you know, these people just have this sort of view that, you know, this isn't Afghanistan or Iraq or North Africa or anything like that. It's, you know, basically just saying this isn't people of color. This is this is white people. So we need to treat the situation differently um, than we do any other situation. Um, And it's just so reminiscent of, you know, January 6th and, you know, Every every other instance that we see in our own country, uh, and we that's why I think so many people here were quick to point it out because we're not blind by racism. No, I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, it's it's sad to see, but we kind of always knew it was right there below the surface. So it took a, a crisis like this to really kind of pull back the layers and see the the bias and coverage. You know, we see it here in America with you know, how the Black Lives Matter protests are covered versus what the heck happened on January 6th, the way it's being framed in 
right wing medias, it was just a tour through the Capitol, basically. You know, they weren't there to, to destroy anything. They just so happened to almost stop. You know, it was just the way it was framed was kind of ridiculous. But uh, we'll move on from there. And just we wanted to point out, too, not only about how this crisis has been framed just from the European refugee perspective, you could also, you know, see that Russia is trying to control the information that's being leaked into their country. They've now even gone so far as to block Facebook um, and also Twitter. Twitter use has gotten a lot harder inside the country. And then now TikTok is no longer letting people in Russia upload new material. So this is not only just a conventional war on the ground with tanks and missiles and airplanes. This is an information war that Russia is also holding as well. We know this very well with what happened in 2016. And so they're doing the same thing here in Ukraine, trying to f- stop the real information from move around, moving around, but also, you know, trying to, you know, label everything that, that's negative towards them as false information. So it's a it's a, a information war, but also a conventional war that I think a lot of people still don't understand. And, right. and Aiden, before you give your comment, I'm just going to say a quick little plug for our misinformation episode with <laughs> yes. Mike Webb. You know, misinformation <laughs> is something that's you know around every country, not just the United States. But go ahead, Aiden. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about you know social media, especially in in Russia, I mean, we've had evidence of you know issues with um, you know social media misinformation from Russia in our own country. You know, this isn't like a new a new or unsurprising thing to see. Um, and I think it's just definitely being highlighted more in the scenario because it's being kind of used against their own people. Um, but it's definitely something that, you know, is important on a, on a broader context, um, especially in the context of, you know, American politics. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, whenever you look at it on that, on that note of looking at the, the grand scheme of things in the larger context, um, I'm happy to see that an international approach or an international front has kind of been uh, taken against Russia. Uh, I was talking to Devin uh, off the podcast about how that front might affect me because um, I have an illustrator who's Russian and I might not get to work with her if, if some things uh, transpire. But uh, U.S. and the European allies have really started to limit uh, Russia's ability to transact foreign currencies such as dollars and euros and frozen a lot of their assets on multiple banks uh, and cut off Russia's bank from the SWIFT messaging system bank used to transmit information globally. Japan is joining in on this. Even Switzerland, who's historically neutral, um, they said they're going to also join in with the sanctions. Russia has over 600, uh, 600 billion in foreign reserves, meaning it has money in other countries, currencies and gold. But now the country could have a hard time assessing the money. Sanctions are likely to hurt the Russian government also hurt the people who are already in a tough spot, like I was talking about with my uh, illustrator, Ina. So a lot happening with this, uh, listeners. We wanted to kind of break it down. Before we get into all the mistreatment of Africans, we just wanted to kind of give you the sense of what's really going on here because, you know, just, you know, hammering on the racial part, a racial part of it is great, but, you know, we want to be more full circle and make sure you understand. So that way, when you're around other people, they'll be like, oh, you're an educated black person. So 
Uh, I'm just joking. But anyway, we're going to leave it at that because we want to make sure that we talk about how this impacts our folks and our people. So we're going to take a quick little break and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our second segment here. So like I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, we really want to get into what's happening on the ground. And in particular, the whole reason we're doing this episode is because Aiden brought to us, you know, the idea of focusing on the mistreatment of African refugees who are trying to leave Ukraine in the middle of a war. And so we wanted to highlight some of these stories that we're hearing because you may have heard about it on Twitter or Facebook or on the news, but there are actually specific accounts of what's going on um, in Ukraine as some of these you know, African refugees try to get out of the country. So for instance, according to the New York Times, there was a 24-year-old doctor from Nigeria who lived in Western Ukraine, uh, a Western Ukrainian town of Ivano uh, Frankis, and she said that she had spent more than two days stranded at the Poland-Ukraine border crossing in the town of Medica as the guards let Ukrainians cross, but they blocked foreigners. There are other people who have reported being barred from boarding trains headed to the border. Uh, Ahmed Habubi, a 22-year-old French-Tunisian uh, medical student, said all foreign nationals, including Africans, Israelis, Canadians, and Americans, were told to go to one gate at the Medica crossing from Ukraine to Poland, which would only process four people every couple of hours, while Ukrainians were allowed to pass freely through another gate. And then just to wrap it up here, uh, Emmanuel Nwulu, who is a, a 30, 30-year-old Nigerian student of electronics at Kharkiv National University, he said that when he tried to board a train in Ukraine going west towards the border, Ukrainian, Ukrainian officials told him blacks could not board the train. But Mr. Nwulu and his cousin managed to force their way aboard anyway. So, you know, Adrian and, and Aiden, this is, again, we've we started to hear rumors of this in the early days of the Ukraine crisis, but it really became a really global issue when you started to see countries, like the actual countries of Nigeria and, and other places in Africa start to say, we are getting reports that our people cannot get out of Ukraine. And you're starting to see the UN start to say, that they're starting to get reports that they verify that people are having trouble getting out of Ukraine and they're being held up at the borders. And I think it's such a sad, you know, a sad state of affairs where we really thought we had gotten past this. And you would think that in the middle of a war and a crisis where everybody is just trying to get out safely, that we would not revert back to those old ways of thinking where if your skin is, is, darker than mine and your life doesn't matter as much as mine. I'm, you know, I understand people sympathize with people who look like them, but in, in wartime in a crisis like this, as large as it is, it's just kind of sad and, and pitiful that this is what we're reverting back to. And it's not just, you know, racism isn't an, an American problem. <laughs> it's a global problem. And yeah. so I, you know, it's just, it's just sad to see. And it's, yeah. it's one of those things that as you were reading it, it made me think like, you know, colored only signs or yeah, you know, something like that. It was just very discriminatory to see that you know that's the 
you know, justification of if your life is worth saving, uh, if if you if you're you know if you're worth you know worthy enough to be able to escape the tragedy of the Russian you know military, uh, it's just about the color of your skin, and and that's such a, a terrible situation. Uh, and Devin's right, listeners. There, was, there were a lot of African leaders. Uh, I even saw an article uh, from the African Union that you know is representative of the 55 countries on the continent uh, issued a statement as well. And everyone's just been trying to figure out, like you know, why are our people being you know taken advantage of? And you know, I'm glad you know, Aiden, that you brought this to our attention to kind of see uh, because I, like I said, you know, I've always said it throughout all four seasons. I'm not a big international buff, so I didn't know that this type of uh, stuff was going on. But um, you know, having people recognize it, like you and others, I mean, that's what it takes. Because unfortunately, as we talked about in the first segment, the media. Uh, didn't mention anything about the black Christians or the black, you know, middle class people right. who are trying to get in cars that looked like them because they're a different color, you know? Right. And I mean, just kind of going back to that media coverage, one of the big things that we've kind of seen is like, okay, cool. A lot of outlets are saying these countries are welcoming people with like open arms. There's um, a lot of articles being written where it's like very much being painted as if people are just being welcomed. Um, but you know, a lot of reports are coming out where that's not necessarily the case. And it's, I mean, honestly, kind of, kind of sad to see that this is like, like you guys said that we haven't gotten past that. Yeah. I mean, one of those reports listeners that Aiden is talking about, there's, you know, this is coming out of the times, uh, or time. I feel old school when I say time, just like saying Sonics or Kroger's like old <laughs> people say or something, but I'm sorry, we have some older people listening, so I'm I'm not discriminating. But we're going to talk about Grace, Grace Kaus, who's a uh, 24-year-old from the Democrat uh, Democrat Republic of Congo, uh, had to come to Ukraine's second largest city uh, as an engineering student and was forced, uh, and also she was fo- she was focusing on having a successful makeup artist career it was monday evening looks like it was february 27th she was getting ready to leave and uh evacuate ukraine she said she encountered hostility from the ukrainian military who were driving or dividing people into two groups you know white and then those who were not white unfortunately this is from miss kess um, we entered the train last, uh, describing how she and other African women were forced to wait outside uh, as snow was falling and while white women and children were allowed to board before them. She believes her gender is the only reason she was spared between uh, spared being beaten. So I guess they're beaten um, people as well, says groups of Nepalese, Indian and Somalian people. Uh, described the time now that they were kicked and beaten with batons by Ukrainian guards who later begrudgingly allowed them to cross over on foot. So um, I don't know why they were had to, you know, it's bad enough that you, you don't get to, you know, get on the train or the bus, but then you got to get beaten uh, with the baton. It's just like, that's just adding, you know, insult to injury, you know, salt in the wound, or I mean, it's just really just being cruel at that point to where, you know, you've got people who are just trying to evacuate just like everybody else. Um, but instead, they get meet with hostility and they get met with beatings. Um, and, you know, I don't know how, 
all of this is playing out on every border or if this is just like the main hub and this is the only way to kind of escape or whatever. But it's just crazy to see that this is happening. Even the students, you know, people who went to have a cheaper, better education uh, and they're just kind of stranded here because, you know, most college kids don't really have a political agenda or really take much of a stand. They're just kind of there, especially if you're an international student. So just a bad story here, guys. And uh, um, we just want to make sure that you know what's going on to our, um, you know, our, our people listeners, because, you know, we're all about some black unity. So we want to uplift these voices. Yeah. And I mean, even moving outside of just a specific like skin tone, racial um, specific issue is we're seeing actual um, a, a large amount of like Islamophobia from a very specific part of the uh, Ukrainian National Guard. Um, Vice put out a really interesting article um, covering essentially the Ukrainian National Guard had posted a video on Twitter a couple of days after Russian forces, Russian forces, excuse me, um, began their military assault. Um, it's depicting a member of the Azov Battalion which is, um, they are a Russian national, or excuse me, Ukrainian nationalist um, group that um, began as a volunteer group, but was eventually kind of brought into the actual um, National Guard after it fought against pro-Russian separatists back in 2014. Um, They do wear Nazi um, insignias and their first commander uh, of the entire battalion actually was quoted as saying that Ukraine's national uh, purpose was to, and I quote, lead the right white races of the world in a final crusade. Um, And unfortunately these, these claims kind of play into um, or these, these statements and videos kind of play into that whole idea that Russia um, put as it's part of its earlier statement of, its justification for invading, um, which was partially the denazification of Ukraine. And the Azov Battalion specifically is fighting against um, the, it's a Chechen force, uh, mostly made up of Muslims. And the video that was posted was actually of them um, dipping their bullets in lard um, as some attempt um, to make their bullets, I guess, haram in some way. Um, but they posted that video um, and there was a unidentified man who in the video says, and I quote, uh, dear Muslim brothers in our country, you will not go to heaven. You will not be allowed into heaven. Go home, please. Here you will encounter trouble. Thank you for your attention. Goodbye. And obviously this is not reflective of the entire population um, of Ukraine. This is a very specific sect of their, of their military um, that seems to very obviously have um, neo-Nazi tendencies and beliefs. Um, but it's really unfortunate to see that they are kind of utilizing um, these, even though they are an invading force, which is obviously very terrible, that they are kind of utilizing Islamophobia in a way to um, kind of, I guess, make their deaths more um, embarrassing almost or shameful, um, which is just very... It's, it's hard to see because there's some nuance here where on the one hand, you know, they, they are being invaded and that is obviously very terrible. But on the other hand, it is very blatantly Islamophobic to specifically coat your bullets in, you know, something that is haram for, for them. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's just another layer of of discrimination to add on top of it. And like you said, it just reinforces, unfortunately, it reinforces what, you know, Putin was talking about with this, you know, denazification, um, because we see that there, you know, is some some pretty, you know, bad, you know, uh, operatives, you know, in Ukraine. And like we say here in America, we have, you know, a lot of bad eggs, but that's not the entire population. Right. Uh, it's like I was telling one of my, uh, my, my boss, actually, I was like, you know, uh, you know, people in general aren't like so racist, but you know, there, there's, there are some people who are racist. So it's just like, there, there are some bad actors there. Uh, this is one of those bad situations because it's, it shouldn't be that, that shouldn't be the case. Cause like Aiden was saying, listeners, you've got a country that's being invaded and people who are just trying to flee. And, you know, it's, you, you hate to, you know, Devin, you kind of hate to see all of this kind of stuff happening because uh, on one hand, whenever I, whenever we talk about Russia and Ukraine, like you want to be sympathetic, you know, to the Ukrainian people and the population, the country. But then as a person of color, you start reading reports like this and it's just like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> it's like, you know. How are we yeah. supposed to send y'all money to help out in this conflict when you're not even going to let somebody that looks like me get on the bus? Right. I mean, yes. I mean, that's that's what ha- that's my problem with the entire narrative that's been spun up in the media. Like, while what is happening to Ukraine is you know absolutely wrong, uh, Ukraine has its own issues. All of Europe has its own issues when it comes to race and religion. And how they view other religions that are not Christian, and then how they view people who are not blue eyed, blue hair, you know, blonde hair, white people. They still that that idea of what they see as the superior race still exists, and it, and you see how they treated the Syrian refugees versus what they're doing right now. So just because Ukraine is the victim in this situation, it does not mean that they don't have their own problems. When it comes to racism and discrimination within the country, so I I, I I sympathize with what they're going through, absolutely. But we cannot ignore these things that are happening because we want to put such a positive image out about Ukraine. And I think that's what we're battling with here. Is like because they're they're fighting the big brother in Russia, nobody wants to say anything really that negative about Ukraine. But they do have their own problems, and so does Europe. So it, it's. I understand it why they're doing it, but it's like you still it's a tricky have to balance. Know. It is, yeah, because like you said, we want to like objectively in the scenario, Ukraine is being invaded by a force that they really didn't provoke, mm-hmm. um, and they are not deserving of this. And a lot of civilians—that's really the worst part—is the civilians are the ones who are kind of. I mean, they are taking the entire brunt of this when they were just living their lives. Um, and so I think it's just important to remember that kind of, like you said, there are definitely bad, there, there are bad actors in this, in this entire encounter, but we can't ignore things that are happening just because there's a bigger issue at hand. You know, it almost sounds like y'all are saying that we can walk and chew gum at the same time, you know. It's like we can we can be sad, but we can also call them out to say that, you know, 
and, and being sad, let's all be sad together. Not, not right. like be sad. And if you're white, you know, we're going to help you out. But, you know, if you're black, we're going to we're going to beat you. Exactly. I mean, there's a way to do it. And like I say, just to wrap this, we're well, not wrap this up, but almost wrap it up. But there's when you bring when you bring out the conversation, you step back. This is really, to me, an example of what's happening across Europe. When you talk about the perception of people of color, when you talk about the perception of African refugees, of Syrian refugees, of Muslim refugees, what you're seeing right now is in total opposite to what we saw in 2014 when everybody was you know, talking about the need for uh, Syrian refugees to have places to go. I mean, the refugee crisis uh, in 2014 was awful with the way the Syrian refugees were treated. I mean, this is the Bulgarian prime minister, Kirill Petkov. This is what he told journalists. Uh, I think this may have been a week or so ago when Russia went into Ukraine. He said, quote, these talking about the Ukrainian refugees, he said, quote, these are not the refugees we are used to. <laughs> these people are Europeans. These people are intelligent. They are educated people. This is not the refugee we have been used to. People were, were not sure about their identity, people with unclear past who could have been terrorists, end quote. I mean, that's that's 2022. So the attitude and those feelings are there. And just to also paint this picture even more, last year, hundreds of people, mainly from Iraq and Syria, but also from uh, Africa, were left stranded in a no man's land between Poland in Belarus, as the European Union accused the Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko of luring thousands of foreigners to its borders in retaliation for sanctions. And so at the time, Poland actually didn't let those foreigners into their country to to get aid groups and journalists. And so more than 15 people actually just died in the cold because Poland would not let them in. And so you think back to what's happening right now, they don't have a problem letting Ukrainian refugees in at all. But they let these people stand out in the cold and 15 of them died. So, I mean, it just paints the picture that Europe has, Europe absolutely has a problem when you're talking about racism and discrimination with how they treat, you know, refugees from other countries. Some of it I understand. Only because when you think about what has happened in Europe recently, the Paris terrorist attack, you know, the, the terrorist attack in Madrid, Spain, they have had issues with terrorist elements getting into Europe, but that is not to me, a reason for you to just completely isolate yourselves from taking any, any refugees from Africa or Middle Eastern countries or anything like that, because these are, these are most 95% of them are people just looking to get to safety. They're not here to blow up your houses or kill Europeans or anything like that. But, you know, Aiden, it, it just shows a larger problem that there's right. more work to be done. And like I said, we cannot ignore this stuff when we're talking about Ukraine and the European Union, uh, when you talk about this war in Russia, there's more to the story. And we cannot just paint them as, you know, this this great and powerful country in Ukraine that has no issues. <laughs> yeah. Or Europe, that for that matter. They're real, real issues, deep-rooted issues they, they still have to work on when it comes to race. Yeah, that's for and sure. And religion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, listeners were faced with the reality that as we've said throughout this entire episode 
Um, race is not just an American, racism rather is not just an American issue. Uh, it's something that, you know, is, is, you know, throughout the entire, you know, planet and it's something that has real consequences. Um, we've talked about those real consequences and monetary value on like our episode about reparations. And we talked about how it was, you know, $16 trillion or so. Um, but these are 15 people who died. I mean, that's, that's another way you can equate what racism does. You know, a lot of, I mean, there's so many different situations where you can look at it in the American way, but here it is in a global way. Um, and it's sad. I mean, that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're going to keep you in the loop of what's going on. And we hope that there's going to be more pleas for help. You know, we did get when that the uh, foreign minister for Ukraine did apologize days after the massive refugee crisis. Uh, they did issue out an apology, uh, acknowledging the fact that African immigrants seeking to flee the violence did face races. Uh, uh, racist actions um, from their military and their police and such compared to white Ukrainians. So at least the, the government of Ukraine is recognizing that we're racist and we've got some work to do. Um, that's always a first step. That's, you know, further than what the American government does at times. So um, <laughs> at least they're on to something in that. But listeners, to to round us off, you know, what you can do to help. We, we usually do something like that in our third segment. And, you know, there's a bunch of different organizations, whether you want to go to the African um, um, Union, who, like I said, represents all 55 countries. Um, there's a bunch of different black nonprofits from the NAACP. I even think uh, Beyonce's foundation is doing some stuff. So I, I just wanted to make sure to encourage you to, you know, find some, some cherries, some, some cherries of color, um, you, know, um, you know, who are actually going to do something to help out. Um, even if you do want to donate directly to some of those countries yourself. Um, like I said earlier, black unity is more than just African-Americans. It's more than just black, you know, Americans. It's all of us. You know, we make a global population. Um, so help our people out. Do what you can. But we thank you uh, for being with us. Uh, we appreciate you listeners for having Aiden on, you know, because I know you always used to listen to me and Devin, um, but we got a new voice. Um, hopefully uh, Aiden comes back and joins us. You probably hear from some other interns, but um, we're going to give you another break. As always, we got in our episode giving you a look into the future. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. Uh, so first up, you can look forward to hearing me and Adrian here again on the Black Agenda coming up this Saturday, March 12th. That's going to be weekly roundup number eight. That's the eighth one of the season. We are getting all the way in there. We're always, you know, already on number eight. Seems like it's flying by. So again, the next time you'll hear me and Adrian will be this Saturday, March the 12th for weekly roundup number eight. And coming up after that, our next regular episode is coming to you next Tuesday, March 15th. So make sure you tune in for another great conversation with another great guest. And so 
Um, make sure you tune in Saturday, March 12th for weekly roundup number eight. And then tune in again next Tuesday on March 15th for another great episode. And so uh, before we go, we also like to let you know that you can help us out here. We appreciate you listening and downloading our show, but you can also help us out by donating a little bit of cash. And Agent's going to let you know how you can do that. That's right. A little bit goes a long way. I used to have a teacher that would say a little dab would do you. And that's all it takes, listeners. A little dab will do you. Um, all you got to do is start giving a little bit, and it's going to make you feel so good that you're going to want to keep giving. And if you give and somebody else gives, that little bit will transpire to where it's a lot of bit, and we can actually do something. We're really trying to create a movement here. You know, if we were going to aid the African refugees uh, in Ukraine, it takes money to do that. You know, we can send them good vibes and send them prayers. But that doesn't get them a whole lot of stuff. I mean, theoretically, it could be you know, with prayers. But, you know, we're talking about real stuff, real money right now, being able to help them. Um, so we need your help. All you got to do is go to our website. It's com. Click on the Donate tab, and you can give from there. Or while you're listening right now, just go ahead and scroll a little bit. You'll see that Donate button and the well, Donate tab and the timestamps. You can click on that. It's going to take you to the exact same thing. When you get there, you're going to see levels where you can give to us on a monthly basis, real small levels. That way, whenever you give, it's like maybe going to Starbucks once a month. And I'm sure you probably go to Starbucks several times a month. So just say no Starbucks once a month and you're taking care of the Black Agenda. But like I said, go to our website, blackagendapie.com or scroll down the timestamps, click the donate button and start giving. The other thing we like to do is mention our charity of the month. And for the month of March, we've been talking about actor, comedians, organization, the Common Ground Foundation. Uh, like I said, founded by entertainer and actor Common and his mom. Common Ground Foundation provides a holistic curriculum that encourages you to achieve academic excellence while inspiring them to realize their dreams and create an impact in the world. This is one of their quotes. They come to us as dreamers, but they emerge as believers and dreamers. So got to add that extra uh, extra thing on there. So, uh, again, that's the Common Ground Foundation. Check them out. But like I said, check us out first. Make sure you give first to us. BlackAgendaPod.com. Donate tab. Exactly. So make sure you help, help out Common Ground Foundation, but also help out the Black Agenda uh, before we go, we, we want to let you know you can keep up with us when we're not here giving you all the news and breaking down all the topics. When we're not here, you can interact with us and follow us on social media. You can find us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. So make sure you follow us there and also keep up with everything that's going on and following us on social media. So you can also keep up with us on blackagendapod.com. So if you didn't know, now you know, we do have a a website where we are now uh, curating and posting news articles that are written by some of our interns, just like Aiden, who we had on the show today. You will find a couple of his articles at blackagendapod.com forward slash news. So again, We now have a news portion of our website that we recently launched this season. If you go to blackagendapod.com forward slash news, you'll find a multitude of articles written by our very, very, very talented 
uh, interns that we have here at the Black Agenda. So make sure you go check them out, read their articles, leave some feedback. You know, they're interns. They're trying to get better at this thing. So leave some feedback and let them know what you like, what you didn't like. We will appreciate um, any comments that you give us. And so uh, before we go, we want to give a special shout out to Ada Gonzalez for joining us on the show today. He was great. We appreciate him bringing us the topic and also giving his input on what's happening. So I hope you enjoyed that and you should have a better understanding of what's going on in Ukraine um, and why, how we even got here in the first place. So for me and Adrian, we appreciate you staying with us and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.